Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. Well, Baruch Hashem, Toda Rabbah for joining me. And uh, it's it's exciting as we prepare to dive into the Haftara portion for Bamid Bar. Are you ready? Bavakasha, thank you for uh, having me on again. Bavakasha. All right, so the blessing, and then we will get underway with the drosh. Adonai, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and to dive into your Torah. And thank you for the Haftara portion that you've granted us for Parashat Bamibar. I pray that you will grant us illumination and insight through the spirit of Mashiach Yeshua. Adonai, may we see light by your light. May you cause us to behold beautiful and wonderful things in your Torah. In the merit of Messiah Yeshua, amen. 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 All Thanks right. For that blessing. So, Hasiz, fire away. All right. Well, I was thinking, since we're uh, making this a thing to go through the half Torah, mm-hmm. we could start a new little tradition, if you'd be up for it. All right. What you got? And I just maybe just un- go off a, a few facts about the prophet themselves. Oh, I like that. Just kind of get get the audience idea of, of who they were, maybe just some little unknown facts or maybe some stuff that is known to sort of get them connected to um, the listeners, to whoever is uh, the prophet who's speaking, essentially. All right. That sounds great. I'm, I'm definitely on board and I agree. All right. So Hoshia, son of Ba'eri, the prophet. It says in Pesachim 87a that there were four prophets who prophesied during one period. This was Hoshea, uh, Isaiah, Amos, and Micah. But the greatest of them was Hoshea, who was also the first of the four to prophesy. And so he was actually connected, uh, his contemporaries, with three others. And we think of some of these others like Isaiah, who has like chapters and chapters and chapters upon his book as being like one of the greatest prophets. But according to uh, the Talmud and Pesachim 87a, Hoshea was greater and had his ability to prophesy first. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> that is, uh, I mean, that's a great illustration because we already know in the in the back of the mind that we think just because there is a higher quantity of something that makes it a greater quality, right? Yes. So here's what I'm thinking. If you go to the Brit Hadashah, the most prolific writer of the Brit Hadashah is seemingly Paul. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily equate him to be the greatest mind of the time as far as the one who has the message and the highest authority. So just thought, oh, wow. was, just thought that was interesting as far as perspective yeah. goes, because from what you just shared with me, I'm just kind of like, oh, my goodness. Like, wow. And that's really interesting um, because, you know, Paul, Rabbi Shaw did actually write the majority of what seems to be in the Brit Hadashah. And yet you have 
I guess the, the stronger authorities more in like the Basora and places like that. Right. So that's, that's an interesting connection. I like that. All right. Uh, next, next fact. Right. Uh, so for 90 years, HaKadosh Baruch Hu forewarned Israel through Hoshia. Okay. So just a little time frame. That's from Basquita Rabatai, 3390. Just mm-hmm. a good little time frame to get, like, how long was he uh, just prophesying, rebuking, and leading the people to repent and encouraging them to come back to Torah? So you said 90 years? 90 years. So the gematria of 90 is Melech, king. Oh, and it's also the gematria for Mayim, which is water. Oh wow! So, so I mean, oh sorry, finish your thought. I mean, interrupt. So I think you're gonna say what I was thinking. Okay, go for it. Well, what I was thinking is, Hashem is the king that He's asking them to return to, and also offering them the living water. That would be uh, an element of purification for their souls, because we know that the mikvah consists of mayim, and that's the purification. And then just last week's haftarah, we just read about Hashem being the mikvah. Yes. <laughs> so that's awesome. I was I was also thinking um, uh, when you mentioned ninety. Um, I was also thinking of the letter uh, Saadi. Yes. Saadi being like representative of a Sadiq who, who descends to, to elevate the world. Wow. And so here you have Hoshia who came, came into uh, this world where, where Israel is just steeped in idolatry to the point where he's calling Israel a harlot. Mm. And he's, he's descending for the sake of, of bringing them up and lifting them up as a people. Like you said, to return to, to be immersed in Hashem, our mikvah, and to return to our king, return through Torah to our king. Wow. That's amazing. And, and the, the last, last little point I want to bring up is, says, all the prophets called upon Israel to repent, but not like Hoshea. says, Jeremiah and Isaiah, since we're, missing Jeremiah, we're mentioning Jeremiah earlier, they, Jeremiah Isaiah, did not teach Israel what to say, whereas Hoshea taught them how to appease God. Say to him, forgive all in iniquity, Hosea 14.3. In addition, he declared Israel to be merely stumblers, as is written in verse 2, you have stumbled in your iniquity. That's from Peskita Rabbatai 44.23. Mm. And, wow. uh, I, I find this interesting because it's almost like uh, like it says when it says he, he taught us how to appease God. This is also how our sages have constructed the Shimoni Ezra prayer. They formulate in a way where we would not forget what to pray or how to pray, that we would know how to repent and come before God. So Hosea taught them that. Yes, he taught them how to. He didn't. He didn't just. Um, he didn't just tell them to repent. He taught them what to say to repent. <laughs> so it's like he paved the path for them. 
he paved the path back to Hashem. So you mean like, uh, Master, would you teach us how to pray? Oh, <laughs> yes. Because, yes, exactly like that. Because Hosea's name is just deficient of the Yod to make it into Yehoshua, which would be Yeshua. Yes. And uh, on that, you take it and it's... Um, I'm sorry, I had it written down somewhere, but it's missing a yod, so it's just five letters off, so you have 180, I'm sorry, Sika, you have, let's see, Hoshia, you would have 381, right? Okay, yep. And when you, you add the four letters to his name, you get 385. And then you add the other principle, which is the sum of the words, like Daha Torm does frequently, you get 386. And that's oh. uh... Yes. <laughs> wow. So, there's, there's that. And so through the principle of uh, the adding the letters and the sum of the word, you actually do get the sum Gamachia. But I think it's interesting that it's missing five. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind uh, is the five books of Torah. Oh. And it's, it's like that's what he's trying to get them to hold on to. Wow. And so maybe that could be a possible significance in the, the five, uh, the number five letter difference between his name and Yeshua's name. Well, I mean. Maybe because Yeshua actually, you know, got us to follow Torah and he actually fulfilled it. Right. In a sense. And so he, so Hosea basically is making a way, mm -hmm. making, making a way, a highway in the wilderness, as Isaiah says. Yeah, like Eliyahu, in a sense. That's right. Okay. Amen. Amen. Well, um, so let's jump into this, this half tour, unless you got something to add to any of those things. I will uh, trail you. I, I do have a little uh, interesting commentary pulled up on um, on Hosea. Uh, it's specifically about chapter 1 and 2, so uh, I can drop those whenever we're ready. But I want to give you the floor and uh, really let you share what Hashem has shown you. All right, Hashem. All right. Okay, so uh, there's a few links to this weekly Parsha um, as far as connecting to Bamdibar goes. Um, we're told that B'nai Israel were most chased time. And the half Torah begins with the promise that in the future B'nai Israel will be too numerous to count. Um, there's also the idea that Bamdibar in the wilderness implies the Parsha describes B'nai Israel's formation while traveling in the wilderness. Uh, the half Torah mentions that in the future, Hashem will once again bring the Jews to the wilderness. According to our sages, this means that the Jews will literally have to transverse barren land. This will serve to test their trust in Hashem and cause them to witness his miracles. Mm. And then a third connecting point, when B'nai Israel were counted in Moshe's time, they had to uh, <clears throat> bring documents to prove their lineage. And the half Torah Hashem alludes to the fact that he will forever consider B'nai Israel 
his sons because of their ancestry, and he will not reject them even if they sin. Ooh. <clears throat> Whoa. Okay. And so there's these there's these three forms of connection, and Bezrashem, uh, I would like to, uh, hopefully, Bezrashem will get to paving away a, a new connection through this study tonight. All right. All right, and so like like this whole idea with Hoshea is is Israel is considered this harlot and has gone astray with. Um, other lovers represented, you know, adultery representing idolatry and then being steeped in the, uh, the paganness of the other nations. Mm-hmm. And, but what I really wanted to focus on is kind of like how we focused on in, when we looked at Jeremiah is towards the end where there's this kind of redemptive turnaround. Ah, oh, man. Yes. We should be and all about so, redemption, you know. What's that? I said we should be all about redemption. So, oh yeah, I mean, you know, whatever is uh, noble and pure, and such and such, think of these things. Yes, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, two eighteen to two twenty two. All right. Uh, I'll read these verses, and then we are going to get into uh, some commentary. All right, so, go for it. 2.18, and it will be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, my husband, and will no more call me Bali, my, my bell. Mm. For I will take away the names of the Balim from her mouth, and no more will they mention by, her na- by their name. No more will they be mentioned by their name. Wow. And I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. Okay. (laughs) And so these, these, I feel like these are very, very strong, um, strong verses. And there's, there's a lot in there. Um, So, uh, the very first verse, in verse 218, it talks about, there will come a day where it says, Lord, but you will call me Ishi, and you will know call me Bali. And so, like I said, there's this, there's this overarching tune of being separated from Hashem, and then unifying back with Him. And mm-hmm. this whole idea is like the relationship between a husband and wife. And even... In that relationship, you know, when it says uh, um, a son will leave his father and mother and be with his wife. So there's this idea of separation for the sake of being united and something deeper and more profound. And that's actually what Mam Loa's comments when he's talking about Ishi and Bali. Uh, He says... Right here, bow literally connotates a conjugal mate. By analogy, when one serves God for an expected reward, that resembles a wife calling her husband Bali, my conjugal master. There's a suggestion of rewarding physical pleasure. But when God is served out of awe, 
at his lofty grandeur, the person is exalted. That person is elevated to splendor in the sight of everyone is called an Ish. You call me Ishi. You yourselves will be called Ish. And it says the attribute of Ish also connotates oneness, intimate and intrinsic closeness, as in she will be called Ish, a woman, because she will taken from Ish, man. And no, no more call me believe. No longer will you be close to me only conditionally. Wow. And that's beautiful. That's it beautiful. Is. It is. And it just goes on this idea about Ishi refers to a woman whom like lives in the same house as her, her husband. And so there's this idea of complete unity. Whether once you were serving me um, just out of uh, happenstance okay well one day i'm gonna do this one day i'm gonna serve you i'm gonna serve you partially and then serve baal and all these other gods and all these other ideas um whenever it's convenient for me wow so this okay. idea is being wiped out from their mouths but go ahead and replace with you know him being called an each this loving relationship so like and I agree because first of all, you think about the first Isha, she was one with the Ish. And so it was like this whole idea of these two were together, but then they were separate to come back together. Mm -hmm. So you're already illustrating that. And then I'm thinking about when B'nai Yisrael are standing at Har Sinai with the mountain hovering over them like a hoopah. And it says that if they didn't accept the Torah, the mountain would be dropped on them. And so this would only happened after the children of Yisrael said, Nishma. they had already accepted the Torah, which was kind of interesting when I went back and thought about that because why would you have to place on circumstances for the agreement? But yeah. We're looking here. The difference between Bali and Ishi is that it's no longer that we have these circumstances. It's completely out of the fact that we're one and, and there's love and awe. And then you put that together with the the Brit Hadashah is that the Brit Hadashah is a renewal of the covenant. It's a renewal of our inner man that will cause us to no longer throw off the yoke of Hashem. And so with everything that's going on, the difference between Bali and Ishi is basically saying that we're going to serve Hashem in covenant and never forsake him again. Yeah. Wow. Oh man, I, I I love that, and I I love that you you hit on the the idea of uh, of like this hupa, this marriage ceremony, and the idea of matan Torah, like the whole giving of the Torah. Right. Uh, I think it's very appropriate for the month we are on. Um, right. Today being Rosh Chodesh Sivan. Oh, man. Rosh Chodesh Tov, by the way. Rosh Chodesh Tov. 
and you know Shavuot's coming up and so I think it's very fitting we're, we're studying this uh this portion and having the the commentary and the dialogue we are All right, so uh, what we need to do really quick is take a short break and start a new segment because we're well beyond our time right now. So uh, we will return after this. All right. Stand by. All right, Shalom. And we are back with the continued segment of the Haftarah for Bamit Bar. Shalom. All right, shalom. Okay, so we were in the middle of talking about the hupa, the renewal of the covenant, and going from Bali to Ishi. Yes. Which, right. actually, we're talking about this idea of, of marriage and the giving the Torah, which actually brings us to our, our next verse. Verse, uh, well... Well, the next couple verses. Okay. It says, And in that day I'll make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowl of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. I will, I will break the bow and the sword and the battle from the land and I'll make them lie down in safety. And then verse 21, And I'll betroth you to me forever. Yes, I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in compassion Amen. and Mamlo's he comments uh, that custom has it that a future bridegroom presents gift to his betrothed and the future bride sends gift to her future groom accordingly God says here I will betroth you to me in righteousness and loving kindness and in justice and compassion it says, your gift to me will be deeds of righteousness and justice, and my gift to you will be loving kindness and compassion. Oh, my word. And commentary goes on about these four aspects are interdependent. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what you got? Well, I'm just thinking about this because, you know, this this verse is so familiar because like every day that's not a Yom Tov when we wrap to feeling, um, you know, we we say this verse as we're yes. literally wrapping our finger like a like a wedding ring. Amen. You know, and knowing that the tefillin represents the word or the hand of Hashem, you know, we're saying, you know, we accept him upon us. So we're already calling him Ishi when we're mm-hmm. rapping tefillin. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just just thinking about that. I'm just like, whoa, like that's powerful. And it really paints a beautiful picture. And what, like. Just like last time, we're in like such synchronicity right here because I'm actually going in the same direction with the whole uh, fulfilling and wrapping your finger and the whole idea of a marriage mm. ceremony. Wow. And so it's awesome that we get these ideas and we're going back and forth and we're kind of going in the same direction here. <laughs> um, Continue on, it says um, that. 
to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord, since the majority of the people were guilty of theft, the prophet rebukes them all for bringing sacrificial offerings purchased with stolen money. The Torah says, Moshe commanded us a law and inheritance to the other congregation of Yaakov, Devarim 33.4. And the sage to expound, do not read, read, uh, uh, but a betrothed. The Torah is Israel's betrothed. And it says here, I will betroth you to me forever. Or as it says here, I will betroth you to me forever. Right. And it continues uh, going on uh, with this idea. Uh, it says, when a man betroths a woman, he gained no advantage by the act of betrothal, for she remains forbidden him until after he will have married her for under the wedding canopy, like we mentioned before. So they have a wedding canopy, it's chupa. Uh-huh. There is this, however, that she is reserved for him alone, and Arasa cannot marry another without first being divorced. By analogy, the Torah is our boon in a similar sense. Even when we do not fathom her profound esoteric wisdom, yet she is reserved for us and our children. Uh, God's choice of Israel, continues on, God's choice of Israel is likened to a betrothal. I am the Lord who consecrates you is a full-fledged betrothal. And it goes on talking about it's conditional. You mentioned earlier at the Gimna Torah, there's like these conditions that go along with it. Right. God has forbidden us to consort with other deities, and I have set you apart from the peoples. And uh, continue on, I will betroth you to me forever. He has presented Israel with the contract of the Sinai covenant and little else, but in the days of Mashiach, he will give them everything. As it says, for your maker is your master, Aliyah, Isaiah 54, 5. In that hour, God will bestow his abundance upon them, as it says, and they who are enlightened will shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they who turn to many to righteousness will be as the stars forever. Man. Then, uh, <laughs> yes. And then carrying on to verse 22, and I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. Israel possesses the virtue that Jews can perfect themselves in faith and in their root knowledge of godliness. This is their ultimate purpose. Two other vir virtues possessed by Jews are the pursuit of justice and righteousness and the practice of loving kindness and compassion. These traits are the pathways that lead to the ultimate perfection. Uh, the present verse can also be understood by reference to the teaching that the sages said that being charitable is called faith. And really, and skip according to the justice and loving kindness and compassion. You, the Jewish people, practice all these virtues, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Man. So, charity has to do with being faith? Like, being uh, full of faith? Yeah, righteousness, sadaka. Oh, wow. <laughs> So this, it's this idea of, of giving, and I, I believe when we practice righteousness, um, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're practicing, we're doing mitzvahs, 
Right. And in that, we're we're bringing down this this light from Hashem, and we're connect with Him, and we're being a light to the nations. And so it's almost uh, just going off this this idea uh, that this idea of giving, this idea of is more than just money. It's this light, this spiritual light that, that emanates from, from us when we perform mitzvot. You know, I always wondered about the word zadaka because when I first learned about this word, I saw that it said it's, it's what's used for charity. But, mm-hmm. but then I found out it's also the word for righteousness and I'm like, how is charity and righteousness like the same thing? And, yeah. <laughs> and here we are during this Haftarajrash, and it all clicks and it makes sense. So I'm just kind of like, oh, my word. Like, I, I never even imagined that. Wow. <laughs> Good shit, man. That's awesome. <laughs> and and uh, so... Uh, with righteousness, this idea of sadaka. Um, I, I want to come back to the point that, that you made earlier. Uh, this really profound connection that we actually say this this verse and except for Shabbats um, daily when we put on film in the morning. Right. And the sador, you know, this blessings in there, but right above it. There's this verse from Tehillim, uh, from Tehillim 145, 145 verse 16. Yep. Yep. And in this verse, is, is it's such a profound verse just to meditate on and to comfort your soul. And there's a lot of depth hidden in how it's juxta- juxtaposed to our verse uh, from Hoshia. It says, Potech et yadecha omas charatson. It says you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Yes. And I mean, I, I feel like we could have a Salon moment, uh, just a pause and reflect moment on that verse for just like hours. Um, right. For the sake of time, uh, I want to just kind of get into the word of Ratzon, because it satisfies this desire. And we're going to follow the advice of our sages. It talks about this, the idea of the first use of a word gives this profound meaning to it. Mm-hmm. And the first use of Ratzon uh, is in Rashid 49, verse 6. 49, verse 6. And the blessing given to Shimin and Levi. No way. Yes. <laughs> yes. You, those were like two of the most violent children that Yaakov yes. had. <laughs> uh huh. And you know, that's fitting you say that because I, I didn't even make that connection, but uh, their most violent it ensued into kind of like this wrath and this anger. It says, curse be their anger, right, in verse 7. Yeah. And the same link anger to idolatry, which yes. further connects to our verse. And so, like we said before, there's, there's this desire. Uh, says he fulfills a desire, the desire of every thing. That's what Hashem does. And we have this profound desire to connect with God. 
But as we see in Hoshia and a half Torah, that's not always how it starts. Sometimes it starts in this brokenness. Sometimes it starts in this idolatry, this adultery, this anger, this confusion. And then he works on our heart and, and you know, calls us, hey, I am your first husband. I'm, I'm the one who formed you in your room. I love you. I want to take you back. I want to betroth you to me. Wow. And then this, this, this attitude and this action that, that God takes towards us actually changes our hearts. But like we get here with the, our will, our desire, our soul doesn't always start with being connected with him. Like I says, it starts in this confusion a lot of times initially. So is, and, this, is this why there was darkness on Yom Echad and then Hashem wow. said, let there be light? <laughs> yes. And just a little side story, which is, this is awesome. Um, like this darkness, as, as you may know, um, but for the sake of our audience, this darkness, it kind of alludes to this idea of, of free choice. You know, giving this 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 idea of, of free choice to accept his light. Mm. So this is why we have all these evil inclinations. You know, we, we're granted this free choice to choose what we want because he doesn't want this robotic love. He wants us to search for him in the darkness oh, and realize that he is he is the light and he's the one who can guide our paths. Wow. Come on, man. That's oh wow, that's rich right there. So I love that you brought that that darkness thing. You know, that's that's so awesome that Hashem gives us that space, that opportunity, you know, because how how else are you gonna know true love? Like if it's real. You know, so I mean it's, it's that it's that division, you know, you, you have to be separated and appreciate the uniqueness and, and come together. Wow. And, um so, on Genesis, on Rashid 49, uh, it says, uh, let's go to five. Shimon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. So if my soul don't come into their council. My glory don't be united to their assembly. For in their anger, they killed an each. They killed a man. In their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Uh, sure. Right, so I'm going into verse six here, and the word for the very ending of it, where it says, "In their self-will, they hamstrung uh, an ox." The word for will there is ratzon, and highlights the fact that they, they they lamed or they they plucked out, they they attempted to execute was a car, uh, a shore, an oxen. Yes. And uh, were you about to say something? No, I'm just agreeing. Okay, awesome. <laughs> um, so do we need to continue into a part three before we begin the next segment, or are we yes. good for a little bit? So hold your place. All right. We'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> All right, shalom, and welcome back. Shalom. Good to be back. All right, you got your place saved? Yes, we were on Breshit 49.6, and we were talking about the first use of Ratzon is, is in this verse, where it's talking about the self-will of Levi and Shimon. All right. And 
it says in their self will they lamed an oxen depending on how you translate that but the idea of akar in hebrew is try to 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 pluck up to exterminate essentially to destroy okay all right and it was their initial will we're talking about how the initial will often changes but also um it doesn't always start off with pure motives. That's right. Right, like in like you mentioned, in the beginning of the sheet, it started with darkness, and then there was light. Yes. And I think it's that's awesome that we're talking about free will and the translation in this verse, uh, according to the Hebrew names version, is in their self will. Yes. So, in their self will, they lamed an oxen. And the word in Hebrew there is sure. And sure is actually Yosef. a name of Mashiach and Yosef. Oh, my goodness. Right? It says Messiah is called sure, bull, and the blessing given to the tribe of Yosef by Moshe. His glory is like a firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of a wild ox. Wow. Um, and then it continues on, says the bull or ox symbolizes Yosef. And it says that if Israel sins, immediately he bellows like a bull and immediately he, i.e. God, has mercy upon them. What? Yes. <laughs> oh, my. So, uh, okay, tag. Sleeka, excuse me. Pardon me. Go for it. Midrash Rabbah Echa, talking about the destruction of the temple and the birth of the Mashiach. There is a shore that is uh, lowing. And these two people that are on this path are like, why is this ox lowing? The owner of the ox says, because the Mashiach has been born. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> oh my that's <word>. awesome <laughs> you said that that's the midrash the echa yes midrash rabat echa i will track it down and i'm gonna read it uh when, yes. when we get to um let, is it gonna take you a while to find that yes I, if you can go ahead with your point uh i wanna i'll, I'll tag in later on that okay i guess i'll, I'll continue reading about this sure um uh says uh moshe adds to this description of the bull the adjectives glory and firstborn thus making this bull a spectacular a spectacular figure a glimpse into this bull's nature can be found to the person of yehoshua one of only two kings in israel who came from the seed of yosef gideon being the other of yehoshua it is said that during his reign Not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. Not one word of them has failed. Similarly, Yehoshua is one of the four people, Abraham, uh, Yehoshua, David, and Mordecai, whose fame spread throughout all the country, a distinctive messianic trait. Says, Yosef is likened to a bull with the horns of a oryx or a wild ox. This is a strange animal that combines the overwhelming strength of the bull with a majestic oryx's horn. The unique bull was seen in the possession of the Feast of First Fruits. The Mishnaic description of this event is that the bull was walking at the front, its horns coated with gold and a crown of olive trees its head. 
It's from Bikarim 3.3. According to the Marasha, the two golden horns symbolize the first of all sacrifices, while the crown symbolizes the allegation of kingship with priesthood. The bull is the beginning of all the sacrifices, as it says, ox or lamb or goat, Vaikra 17.3. And none of the crude animals were fit for sacrifice except the ox. And the clue for this is his glory is like a firstborn bull, Devarim 33.17. The ox of glory is found in the command of the day of first fruits, Bamdibar 28.27, the firstborn and the beginning of every sacrifice. And according to us, it looks as if the olive crown hints at two crowns of priesthood and kingdom. Like it says in Zechariah, two olive trees are by it. And that's from Kedishim al-Hamishnah, Bikrim 3. It says, as we have already shown elsewhere, Zechariah's imagery of olive, lampstand, and stone speaks about Mashiach. This bull of glory adorned with gold and olive is a further potent image of the most powerful son of Yosef, who was nevertheless offered up as a sacrifice. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> no, and so we're getting out of this before. Have you found the, the verse about the bull? I have. Okay. And so I, we're getting I, out of this. Their first desire, their initial desire of Levi and Shimon was to destroy, to pluck up, to exterminate this this bull, this shore. <laughs> Are you, so the very things that would bring comfort and renewal they wanted to destroy yes oh wow okay and this is how they treated uh yosef too right so i mean first of all let me just say i've been talking about yosef being separate from his brothers um because in my in my drosh series yes it has become a series this week I've done a <laughs> I've done a four part series on the parasha for Bami Bar. <laughs> so like that's in, awesome. In uh, part three, I'm talking about Yosef being separate from the brothers, and how taking the bones of Yosef with them is bringing them back to be united, and that's the way that they would travel through the wilderness. But you know. That's a swerve from what we're talking about now, but it's kind of not because, you know, with the the uh, the mistreatment of Yosef, that's not good, right? Right. So here's the thing about the ox from uh, Midrash Rabbah Echa, and it is uh, from chapter one, section fifty-one. It says, and following. Or and the following corroborates that statement of Rav Yudan in the name of Rav Avu. There was an incident. A certain man who was plowing his field, when one of his oxen lowed, a certain Arab passed by and said to him, "Of what faith are you?" He said to him, "I am a Jew." The Arab said to him, in that case, release your ox and release your plow. The man said to him, why should I cease plowing? The Arab said to him, because the holy temple 
of the Jews has been destroyed. The Jew asked him, from where do you know this? The Arab said to him, I know it from the lowing of your ox. So then it says, while he was engaged in conversation with him, the ox lowed a second time. Like the, the <laughs> second Mashiach, you know, because Mashiach ben Yosef oh, is supposed to die. He's supposed to be destroyed. That's how it works. Yeah. Right. So then it says, when the ox lowed a second time, whereupon the Arab said to him, okay, harness your ox, reattach your plow. <laughs> For the Redeemer of the Jews has now been born. Oh, man. <laughs> what? That is an incredible midrash. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm going to throw things. Hang on. That, Believe it or not, that is actually the perfect segue slash lead in into this, this next uh, blessing that Shimon and Levi get. Oh, my word. Because you mentioned the second blowing of this ox, and you mentioned the Arabs' response of to read... Uh, and, Resaddle the yeah, ox. Get it all set Reattach. back up. <laughs> right? This this word reattachment. And so oh, what? this is in, in Rashid 49, you have Yaakov's blessing to Levi and Shimeon. Okay. But there's also another blessing. And since we're in Bomni Bar and it's talking about different tribes, uh, yes. there's a blessing that Moshe gives them in Devarim 33. And so I'm linking I'm linking these two because it's the, the it's like this initial blessing where their will was to destroy the shore, right? right? And also to uh oh while we're here it says they wanted they wanted to like essentially kill a ish, kill a man. Right. And what do we read in Hoshea that uh Hashim one day he'll he'll be like our ish, you'll call me ish. Right. Right, man. And in Tractate Sota, it, it refers to Hashem as a, a, a ish, like a, a man of war. Oh. And so, of course, you can't kill God. Right. Try but, and try, but you will not be successful. Yes, there's, there, but there is a, a subjective way of, of killing someone, which is ignoring them. Yes. And so we see this when Mashiach Yeshua, he's he's going around, he's he's talking with the people, and the the leaders of the generation, and the leaders of the generation refuse to actually have ears to hear and eyes to see. What? Right. And so what are they doing? They're they're ignoring this the the Mashiach. They're ignoring the divine Mashiach, and in a sense, this is their initial desire to ignore the words of God. As he says, everything I do, I've done because the Father has commanded me. Get and you some. Killing God in their, in not physically, of course, but in ignoring him, it's like they're killing him, separating themselves from him. Right. I mean, that's it. And so this is, this is the initial ratzon. This is the initial will of Shimon and Levi. Oh my uh, the blessing, but now we're going to the second blessing, Devarim thirty-three, verse seven. 
And it says, this is a blessing of Yehuda. And he said, hear, Lord, the voice of Yehuda, bring him to his people with his hands. He contended for himself. You shall be a help against his adversaries. Of Levi, he said, your Tumin and your Urim are with your godly one, with whom, uh, whom you did prove at Masa, with whom you did strive at the waters of Merivah. And it's, it's interesting if you uh, read this blessing all the way through, what, the, one of the things you're going to notice is Shimin is actually not in here. That's at least correct. not At least not to meets the eye. Right. Oh, right? oh, oh, okay, okay. This idea of this, this hidden aspect. Oh, no, yeah. you did not just go there. <laughs> yeah, concealed aspect. All right. And there's this idea. Are we going to add something? No, I'm just I'm looking forward to this. All right, so it says a solution for Shimeon. Okay. Once Moshe Rabbeinu begins with Yehuda's portion, the southern region of Eretz Israel, he now works his way up north, talking about the direction he gives this blessing. Mm -hmm. uh, through Benjamin to Ephraim and Moshe, not only does this explain why Benjamin precedes Yosef, but herein also lies the clue as to why Shimeon is absent from this, this blessing. It says his, his, his blessing is actually included within the borders of Yehuda. Uh, note on Rashi 33.7 towards the end where he quotes amid Tehillim that the Baraka Tashimi is actually included within the Baraka of Yehuda. It says Shema Hashim. And this actually contains the letters of Shimeon's name, Shin Min Ayim, the first letters of his name. And Get in fact, here. What? Yes, in fact, the same wording is used when Shimeon is first named by his mother. Uh, says Ki Shema Hashem Ki Shnuwa Anoki. That's from Bersh uh, twenty. Oh man, that was. And so it's like it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because uh, this is like the initial name of Shimeon, uh, right? Right. And and here he, here he is attached Yehud to Yehuda, who's known to bring out the Mashiach, right? Right. And what's interesting in our portion in Hosea, he says, return to me. I'm your first love. You know, that's what Hashem says. Right. And it's funny because we mentioned earlier that their initial ratzon was to destroy Hashem and destroy uh, the Mashiach. But actually, if you take it all the way back to what his mother called him initially, it was Shema, which is the same idea as Shema Israel, hero Israel. Right, and it was as a prayer and a prophecy. Yes, and so initially he was actually attached to Hashem, and then this desire came about, uh, and he wanted to kill. He wanted to kill God, ignore God, destroy the Mashiach. Oh man! Now we get to this part where it's like this returning back to his first love, like in Hoshia. Wow! All right, so we got to go to a commercial break. So we'll, oh, Brooke Shemp. <laughs> I didn't place. realize. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> All right. Shalom and welcome back. So we're in the middle of this craziness of Shimeon being originally attached, but then 
disconnected and then brought back. Yes. Oh, my word. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, now we get to, but what about Levy? Right? So, we see Shimeon is attached to Yehuda, and from Yehuda is the lineage of David, you know, Mashiach ben David. Right. And so, we see there's this reattachment going on. Right? Right. There's There's this change in will, like there's this change. He's now connected to this Mashiach. Right. Mm-hmm. But what about Levy? What about Levy? Levy, it says, it says, a Levy, he says, your Tumin and your Uim are with your godly one, whom you did prove at Massah, with whom you did strive at the waters of Maravah. And again, the word Ish is there. Uh, so there's that, but that's not really where we want to focus on. Okay. He, he mentions, he says, he mentions his blessing as being with uh your urim and tuim right and i I think it's here that in this verse it's actually tuming and urim it sends it's like this idea of switching usually you see it urim beturim right tuming i thought that sounded weird when you were reading it yeah it it's like this there's like this reversal that's happening and uh if we actually look at uh gematria i know you're a big gematria friend fan fan oh. and scholar um but the gematria of if you just take orim and tumim let me go to notes real quick it says uh orim vetumim tumim is actually 747 and what's interesting is if you add the two words to that gematria you get 749 right and this gematria is the same gematria as you get this yeshua hamashiach oh my god <laughs> okay you're you're just you're done that's that's just uncalled for um yeah i, I don't know what to do with what i just heard oh my gosh <laughs> So I, I will I will make a on uh, honest note here that in in the text in this verse it's not phrased exactly orim v'turim it's tumecha uh, ba'orecha right um, but there's this idea that he's attached to the orim v'turim that's All correct right. um, if I could tag and agree go for it we talked about. Uh, a couple of years ago now uh, in the Avenger Chronicles, uh, that's what I'm going to call them. We've gone through like these crazy text threads and one of them was the Urim Vetumim and the Urim Vetumim, the initial letters is Aleph Tav. Oh, (laughs) yes. So we were talking about the Urim being light the Tumim being completion. So the okay. Aleph Tav bringing the light and bringing the completion, the perfection. And we connected that to Mashiach's statement in Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I came to abolish the Torah, but I came to Tumim, fulfill it. Oh, I came man. to make it full. I am the light that will bring about that completion. So 
Mashiach Yeshua being the gematria of that Yeshua HaMashiach, the gematria of Urim and Tumim, like, what in the world, man? That's that's incredible. You say that because Yeshua was around the Second Temple area, era, and what they say, what Ramban actually comments on the Urim and Tumim is uh, that... It the, was lost. It, yes, it was lost in this period. it because he walked amongst them yes that's where they went (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's where it was it was there it was just a light they did not behold (laughs) oh my god you know uh yokanan like it says in yokanan just get Uh, some help but anyway Ramon also has this commentary on the in between and essentially what he describes as it was a paper with the name of a shim written on it and it was placed in the back pouch yeah the name of a shim on this paper so there's your right there um (laughs) just swerve tag um but it was placed behind the pouch of the choshen and so in case we didn't have enough uh messianic references here As you may know, being a master of Gamachi as well, uh, Choshin Bring it out. <laughs> Choshin has the same Gamachi as Mashiach. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so Choshin, like this, this the Urimbatorium was uh, put beneath the, uh, the Choshin, the breastplate. And so this is what Levi is now attached to. So instead of being attached to his Rason, his, his, this initial desire to separate from Hashem, like we see Israel, uh, the harlot in Hoshia, it's right. now this idea of connecting to Hashem, connecting to the Mashiach, and and this abundant blessing that comes forth from that. You mean like I'm the vine and you're the branches? Yes. <laughs> and I also mean like the banner to the nations. And so in Bomini Bar, it's there's this uh, there's this there's this imagery of the wake up. Yes, and sir. Rashi, uh, I believe it's Rashi who connects this to the the breastplate, the stones within the breastplate, within the Khoshan. All right, it says the flag, the banners were, or is this in I think it could be a midrash. Okay. Help me out here if you know. I do actually. Um, the midrash gets you some. The midrash says, "Yes, that's what it is." Brings that down. There's a whole section called Degalim, which is actually the Ivrit for banners, and it talks about how there's there are actually uh, two flags, and they're flags of fire that uh, come from the mirror image of the flags in Hashemayim. And uh, I also brought that down in one of the Drosh series this week. But um, there's the there are four banners for the four sections or the four uh, divisions of the mm-hmm. tribes. And then there's a, a banner for each tribe. And they all have the insignia of each tribe on it. Wow. And so, like this, this idea of the the breastplate, right? The the 
the stones within the breastplate, within the, the Hoshan, right. reminiscent of the flags, of these banners that they have. Mm. Right, and so um, we're going to talk about these, these 12 banners. And let's see, there's, there's commentary. Uh, Nachshoni actually comments on these banners about their significance. Right. And he says a few different things. Uh, one of which is the significance is in the simplest terms, they serve as symbols for the consolation of the nation. Um, all other states learn to make banners for themselves from those of Israel and the desert. It's from Bamni Bar Rabah. It's quoting from there. Correct. And my, my wife asked a wonderful question. And I think it just connects perfectly with this tour portion. Um, it says, and she was asking, you know, if, if we're supposed to be Kolachad and Israel's supposed to be one, then, then why are there divisions um, if we're supposed to be one? Why are there all these separate flags? Oh, man. And right. so, what's that? I said, that's right. That's, that's a, such a great question. Yeah, and it um, – really comes comes down to is even though it's like this appearance it's like the the Khoshan, like the stones of the Khoshan, even though there's like this uniqueness that that plays out within each stone it's all part of one unit and right here he comments that um the simplest terms they served as symbols for the consolation of the nation right like the the grouping of the, the entire nation and then further on it actually talks about how this actually allow the nations to inspire them to make banners, inspire them to make flags. So this uh, this idea of Israel starting this movement and pushing it forward. Um, but I believe there's also this idea here that I'd like to touch on just real quick is that um, why is there these different different colors? Why is there all this uniqueness? And I, I think it comes to the idea that if you even just look around you at, at people, at nature, at uh, the way this world works is that God, Hashem, He really appreciates diversity. Right. And, it's a but it's, it's diverse. Yes, it's tap, like tapestry is a perfect analogy of this. Um, it's, it's like this idea of all these different aspects coming together to be one. And coming back to the idea of, of tefillin, uh, we have this idea, we, we wrap it. We wrap tefillin. There's different customs of wrapping different tefillin, right? right. Wait, we all wrap the same tefillin, but there's different customs. And we right. see the same thing with the flags. There's all these different flags, but it was to make one solid unit bordering the Torah. Uh, right? Oh, man. And, um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Excuse me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Are you saying... That the flags are reminiscent of Hashem's tefillin. <laughs> well, that that was an eventual lead-in, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! But that is incredible. <sighs> that whole idea is an incredible idea. Oh my um, goodness! Because we know there's verses in Torah container tefillin, but I I like to put that on a tab. Okay. To come back to if we do have if we do have time, um, we don't have to. I was just 
I was just thinking about this whole tapestry that we're talking about and how this is all connected to us being betrothed to Hashem and, and unifying, coming together. Yes. And if, if we if we see each other instead of just like blocking it as okay, this is this is right, focusing on on one color per se, um, or one aspect, like this is the right way. What if we saw it as shades? Right. And when you do that, you look at, instead of looking at like different colors and they're all separated by this very fine lines, if you look at it as like a colored spectrum, you see this very, this perfect flow, this unity where it all connects and it makes this beautiful uh, uh, rainbow, if you will, like this, this covenant Hashem gave us. Right. Um, it's like a, uh, you know, if you go to the movies and they talk about the, the projector, and like how all the colors beautifully blend into this brilliant picture. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that kind of idea, you know. Yeah. Like the colors come together to form this image, right? Yeah. Can I can and, I tag real quick? Oh yeah, love love to hear it. Because what we're talking about is like the many members of one body namely Mashiach. But then mm-hmm. if you look in 1 Kepha, chapter 2, uh, verse, verse 7, it says, Therefore, you who are believers in Mashiach, this stone, it says, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. And then this is a stone for stumbling over, a rock falling over. They stumbling because they have no obedience. But it says, you are a chosen people. And in here, um, there it is, verse 5, Slika. Verse 5 says, you are like living stones built up into his spiritual temple. So... Like all these colors are meant to unify us into the dwelling place of Hashem, which is Mashiach, which is his temple, like a Shekinah. That's why Mashiach would say, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Wow. <laughs> and I I I love I love to hear on that. And I kinda wonder if Nachshoni was uh reading Reading that. I mean, he had to be, because that's just crazy. Well, he even, even goes on to, to talk about that. Uh, the, not that specifically, but hitting on this idea of being many uh, many members of one body. Right. Because there's another interpretation of this arrangement uh, in the realm of the spiritual says the nation is to be educated to see the Torah as the center of the universe. And it goes on talking about like Arbanal gives the image of the tabernacle as the heart in a body Ooh. and the tribes as the limbs. Ooh. And Rabbi Bahaya sees the banners as symbols for the four points of the compass. Oh my goodness. And it goes in to talk about uh, these, uh, the names of the leaders they all had El, God, at the end of their names. Like Natanel, uh, Shmuel, right? Are you Gamel, kidding me? Are you Agiel, 
right? And Chazal brings us to a midrash from Chazal. It says, uh, "Who is this who peers forth like the dawn, beautiful like the moon?" Israel was great and holy under its banners, and all the Gentiles looked with wonder and said, Who is this who peers forth like the dawn? And they said to Israel, Return, return, O perfect one. What do they mean by return? They mean cling to us, come to us, and we will make you rulers, leaders, and commanders. Return, return, and we will look upon you. Nechaze, uh, look upon, refers to authority, as Yitro says to Moshe, um, and you search out uh, leaders throughout the nation, the word being leaders, being uh, and Israel answers back, what will you look upon in the perfect one? Coming back to the idea of tumim, like the idea of perfect, perfection, right. completion. Oh what greatness that you are willing to give us, is it like the dance circle of the camps? Can you give us greatness like that which our God gave to us in the desert with the banners of Yehuda, Reuben, Ephraim, and Dan from Tankuma Bamibar 11? And he goes on to say, um, he says, Kliyakar interprets the Midrash this way. The greatness lies in our being called by the name of Hashem. We carry his name to the four directions of the earth, which are embodied in the four banners talking about the banners uh, that you were discussing earlier about each side had its own specific banner. Um, the dance circle of the camps is the center, which symbolizes, right, as you mentioned earlier, the Shekhanah, the divine presence. Right. present a picture which reflects this image. In the future, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make a dance circle of the righteous and his blessed glory will be in the center. The Midrash connects the banners with the name of God. Oh. And then it goes on to say, each man under his flag, this is what is written. Let us rejoice in your Yeshua. I mean, your, your, your salvation. <laughs> I see what you and, did there. Yes. And I'm actually going to, Bizarre Hashem will connect us to uh, the uh, name of Mashiach. All right. Let us rejoice in your Yeshua, your salvation, and go forth with the name of God as with banners. Tehillim 26. The Holy One's name is like our name, and he has made a banner for us. Tankuma Bhaganibar 10. And so here's this idea of, it says at the very end, he's made, the Holy One's name is like our name, and he's made a banner for us. So this idea, we connected this, these banners to the tefillin and wrapping it. And he's made his name like our name, right? right? And what happens at uh, after the wedding is the bride takes the name of the husband of the East. Yes, yes, and, yes. And before uh, before we go on that, I mean, there's all these connections to the uh, banners being like a sign. See, so each each clan actually had a miniature tribal flag with a specific letter of the alphabet on it to distinguish it from the other clans. And uh, Hamak Tavar understands the term otot and the verse to mean not signs, but letters of the alphabet. But it's this oh. idea of sign. And what is the film referred to? The film is referred to as a sign. Wow. Okay. So hang All on right. tight to that because we got to go to a break and we'll be right back. All right.
Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. And we are back talking about to fill in as a sign, connecting it to the banners. Go. All right. So the whole idea of to fill in these banners as they're both the sign, right? They both surround the, the Torah, like these banners surrounded the, the tabernacle of the heart where the Torah is. Um, inside the filling box, there are scriptures that deal with the unity of God, um, uh, like the Shema and, and so forth. Yes. But it mentioned also in this, uh, in this that banners, it connects the name of God. It says, let us rejoice in your salvation. Go forth with the name of God as with banners. Tehillim 26. So these banners are associated with God's name, but it's also an association with uh, the Mashiach, with one of his names. Are, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> oh my word, man. And uh, Okay, it's like we're abiding in Mashiach, like as we're studying Torah or something. We are. We, we have to be. <laughs> that's, that's the way to be. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so it's this idea we, we talked about earlier how, um, and, and Rashi points out that the nations made these flags after we had flags. That's correct. Right? And so there's this inspiration that was set out uh, once we established our flags and they inspired them to build these banners as well. <laughs> and we, we've been also connecting these banners to the name of Hashem and to Mashiach. And so what are we really connecting these nations to? Wait a minute. Is this like the salvation is first for the Jews and then to the nations? Why? Why is it first to the Jews? Because the, the Jews radiate this light because the Jews are the light to the world. And it's like we as Jewish people, all of Israel is this conduit which radiates this light like God's firstborn. Like Israel is my firstborn. Like we, we and what does the way the firstborn do? He, he has this relationship with other children that the father doesn't have. And so he actually inspires the other children, the other children of the father, his brothers and sisters, to follow the ideas, the ideals of the father. Um, and you, this is actually hinted in with the numbers. I know you're a huge number, guys, number guy, so I'd love to bring this up. Um, you mentioned before about Mashiach being the hand of a shim, yes. correct? Like, I think that was in our first section. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so coming back to the first section, let's let's wrap it all in with, uh, like, the tefillin. Uh, I'm tefillin it. Yeah. <laughs> I've got tefillin. No. <laughs> and so uh, this is Ramchal on the Parsha, on the Parsha. He says, in order to wage war, B'nai Israel required spiritual strength from the sword of a shim. Um, and so it's, it's the idea of going into the nations and conquering them. And elsewhere, it's mentioned that uh, in the writings of our sages that Mashiach will conquer through his words and bring peace. So, you know, he, he's also said, I'm not going to be peace, but a sword. Wow. And back into a sword. And he's came to rightly interpret that to make it complete. And so what is the picture that Israel is doing here when they're, they're waging war with the sword of a shim okay so tag and i agree 
This is why we said that one who is praying shakarit with the talit and the tefillin and the siddur in their hand, they're like a, a warrior. You know, they got the shield and the sword and they're covered in the armor, which the armor is the light. Man, that's a that's a powerful that's powerful imagery. Yes, Prashem. Uh, I mean, they went out with the sword, and the sword actually goes in talking about the four letter name of Shem is the sword, uh, Yudke Vavke, um, the Vav being the body, yes, the Vav being the body of the sword, the Yud being the tip of the sword, and we talk about this like the double edged sword, right? Uh, the two right. hay, the two edges of the sword, and this is what they were going out to conquer and wage war against the nations with. The sword of Hashem, which was his name, they're actually going there to conquer them with Hashem's name. Oh. Like they're literally bringing, like we talked about, these banners connect to Hashem, connect to Tefillin, to the Mashiach. They're literally going there to bring this to the nations. Wow. The comments Spiritual further. Weapons. <laughs> yes, getting further into uh, into the numbers aspect. It says, it was thus imperative that the 12 tribal leaders participate in the count in order for B'nai Israel to be supplied with all the spiritual strength that they will require to overpower their enemies. Uh, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit. By my so, spirit. Oh. Uh, song. But, oh, uh, my goodness. <laughs> so... Uh, the 12 tribal leaders, along with Moshe, have these 12 as your number so far. Right. And then Moshe and Aaron, along with the count, meant that there were 14 who particip participated in this count. And it goes on to say, the number 14 is the numerical value of Yad, hand, referring to the hand of Hashem. Something is wrong with you. And he started it, talking about the, the hand, this hand of God being Mashiach. Oh, my God. And so this is what, this you have these these 12, 12 banners. You have Moshe and Aaron being, like, representative of the hand of Hashem that's going forth. And along with these are these 12 banners. And these banners, as we talked about, at the center of them was the Torah. And it's there to bring this light, to be a light to the nations. Was Israel supposed to be this firstborn? Um and so again, again, if we could do a, a shameless uh, divine Mashiach plug-in, Hashem, Hashem is the the banner, right? These banners, and also a name of Mashiach is Nes Amin, banner to the nations. Ooh, I'll read uh, some of this here. It says, Banner to the people, Nes Amim, better translated Banner to the Nations, is taken from Isaiah 11.10, and that, that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Get out of here. What? In Hebrew, and where, where else have you heard the word Nes? One of, one of our uh, Achis... Uh, has has a song about this referring to Hanukkah. Nes gadol vehayasham. So Nes means banner. Nes also means 
Miracle. Miracle, right? It's the same word for miracle. And it says, uh, Sefer and Sefer Mashmiah Yeshua, the book that proclaims salvation, uh, by, written by Arvanal, uh, Arvanal, he says he attacks the tendency, this, this, this author attacks the tendency of some well-known Jewish interpreters to reduce prophecy to past historical events. Oh. He says, and, and just a side note that um, there's millions of prophets, but the only reason their words were recorded is if it were to reach all nations, for like everyone for all time. Man. That has to be um, how he interprets it. So That's this right. is why he calls a lie to the interpretation that sees banner to the nations as King Hezekiah. To counter such, he gives ten reasons to the words of Isaiah, referring to Mashiach and not Hezekiah. He says uh, Mashiach is a miracle in and of itself. He says that although other Judean kings may have been talented and strong in one aspect or another, they always have negative sides to their personalities. The miracle of Mashiach is that he will have no faults. Amen. Amen. Divine Mashiach. And it goes on. And the, the, the prophet testified here that King Mashiach, that in that he is this perfection of his wisdom, that he will be a miracle worker. Uh, Banner of the Nations also speaks of his visibility like a banner lifted up for all to see. Ooh. So a man be lifted up. That all men be drawn to him. Yes, yes. It's a news. Mashiach will stand as a banner to the nation so that they will observe him and learn from his deeds and walk in his ways, just as they will observe and follow the banner of war. And this is for the Gentiles, and this is for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious, Isaiah 11.10, meaning that his honor and stature will not come from the wars he made, rather they shall seek him because he brings rest from wars. This banner, says Ab Ravanel, is unlike any of the banners which the camp of Israel had. This single messianic banner refers to the unity of Israel, to their single-minded worship of the one God of Israel, as it says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day the Lord is one, and his name is one. Man. And so, just touching back on that, that question is, why they have these separate... They're supposed to be unified. What I did is all these tri all these flags are reminiscent of the stones on the Hoshan. Yeah. So they're all one in the Hoshan. They're all one in Mashiach, right? right? Who one banner for them all. Which is hang on, there's some static or something going on. Oh, uh, Slika, do I need to repeat that? Okay, there we go. Can you please repeat that? Yes, what point did leave off? We were talking about how the many are one in Messiah. Yes, okay, so uh, going back to banners being reminiscent of the stones. Am I coming in yes. clear? Yes, okay, the banners being reminiscent of the stones on the Hoshan. We mentioned Khoshan being the Gamache Mashiach. So all these stones are one in Mashiach. And K 
connecting it to the other points we talked about being the, the um batumim put underneath the choshen and the pouch beneath the choshen. light that would give a perfect ruling and bring light to their situations there and dictate what Israel should do. Yeah. And you connected that beautifully to Matthew five, where Mashiach comes to correctly interpret to fulfill the oh, Torah. Wow. <laughs> and so he comes in here to give us this perfect light in which to interpret Torah and how we should walk our walk out our lives, and how should we act in our daily lives. And uh, as he claimed, um, and as he fulfilled his mission. Amen. So that's the meaning of the Haftarah for this week, of being reattached to Hashem. And just like the banners being attached as the stones were attached to the breastplate, so were the banners attached to the encampments of the children of Israel, making us all unified in Mashiach, which is unifying the husband with his wife. Yes. Well, what do we know? What do we know? Well, uh, obviously, there's always more that we could get into. And uh, this has been just absolutely mind-blowing for me. And uh, I am grateful to Hashem for this opportunity. So, Todah Rabah for joining me in this week's episode of the Haftarah Get You Some. And uh, unless you have any last comments, we'll go ahead and say the closing bracha. Uh, just... One more, one very short thing since you mentioned the, the whole wife and okay. being united with. Bring it on. Uh, if that's all right. Yes. Okay, cool. So um, we mentioned this idea of being betrothed and being married. And I think you, you tying it beautiful in, tying it very beautifully into this idea of marriage. And uh, on the last portion where it's talking about what we wrap our film with. I will betroth you to me forever in righteousness, justice, loving kindness, compassion, and faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. It says, some say that the four virtues mission, uh, mentioned are necessary for an enduring marriage. One, the bond between husband and wife must be an eternal bond. Two, the burden of responsibility for maintaining the home, the husband and wife must share this. Three, there must be no secrets between the husband and wife. Four, a wife must be familiar with her husband's temperament and character, and so the husband must be familiar with his wife's temper and character. Wow. And then it goes on to connect these to Hashem as well. All these conditions are fulfilled in the bond between God and the Jewish people. First, I'll betroth you forever. Similarly, the sages teach, God took an oath never to exchange Israel for another people. Wait, so not Christians? No, no. There's, it's always been one faith, always been one religion. He made a oh. He's faithful. Second condition, they must share and maintain the home. God says, yes, I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. On their part, the Jewish people practice righteousness and justice. On his part, God bestows loving kindness and compassion. So the Torah brings grace now. 
It does. Oh, my word. Third condition, God says, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. This alludes to a secret matter, hence it calls for belief. Fourth, God says, and you will know the Lord. God has thus informed us of his greatness. He is forbearing, abundant in goodness, yet he is jealous and vengeful against his enemies. And um, just this idea of, you know, because it says that the Shekinah cannot rest within, rest within our homes if we do not have Shalom Bayit. That's right. And so I think it's important tie-in, um, not just to talk about these, these beautiful ideas, which is wonderful and inspires us to be passionate about Torah, but also taking practical matters of, of lovingly considering our wives and doing what's required to maintain our home, to maintain our, this idea of Shalom. And right. it's really Hashem fulfilling the desire of every living thing, right? Which is to be connected to him. And we do that by being connected to our brothers and sisters and first and foremost, our wives. Amen. It starts at home. Well, closing blessing. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God. You're the king of the universe. You're the rock of all eternities. You're righteous in all generations. You're the trustworthy God who says and does, who speaks and fulfills, all of whose words are true and righteous. Trustworthy are you, Adonai, our God, and trustworthy are your words. Not one of your words is turned back to its origin, unfulfilled. For you are God, our trustworthy and compassionate king. Blessed are you, Adonai, the God who is trustworthy in all his words. Amen. Amen. Well, may you have a Lala Tov and a Shavua Tov, and may your Shavuot be received, and may you become one with the Torah. You as well, Achi, and Shavuot Tov, and Tadar Rabah for having me on and just having a very passionate discussion about Torah. And uh, may all our listeners uh, be blessed by this message. Can you hear that soon? Amen. Shalom. Shalom.